Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for educational leaders brought to you by Central Michigan University, the Center for Charter Schools, a leader in educational choice and quality. My name is Orlando Castellan, and I'm here with my colleague, Janelle Brzezinski. Welcome, Janelle. Hi, Orlando. Great to be here today. Great to be back doing the podcast, um, and we're reminded here in January that we are celebrating School Board Recognition Month. Yeah, and we are so lucky here at the Center for Charter Schools to partner with um, 56 school boards throughout the state of Michigan. Um, on those boards, we work with nearly 300 board members, so they're really key parts of, of the school environment. Um, we're grateful for their service and certainly excited to be highlighting them here during School Board Recognition Month. Absolutely, Janelle. And as you know, uh, we have board members that uh, are really leaders in the business sector, uh, the nonprofit sector. We have community volunteers, we have parents, and, and really ultimately they are the public officials volunteering their time to ensure that students in their communities have access to this high quality education. And we are uh, really grateful for their time and service to our schools. Yeah. And we're excited to be talking to our guests today who are two of our board presidents that we'll introduce to you here shortly. But um, recently, we also celebrated 25 years um, of having charter schools in the state of Michigan, which has allowed us to really see the longevity of um, this dedication that some of these board members have to their communities in the long term. Um, recently, we released our annual report looking at the last year. And as part of that, um, we highlighted board members that have been serving more than 20 years, really since this beginning of the charter school movement in Michigan. Um, we had 16 board members that fell within that 20 plus years of service. So we're grateful for them, their long-term dedication. Um, it really shows their commitment to their local communities. And we're just really, really proud that um, they partner with us to be able to offer these options for kids. And so part, as part of our podcast this month, uh, we're fortunate to be able to bring to you two of our board chairs. Uh, one is Heather Gardner, who is the president at Trillium Academy and has served at that school for over six years. Um, she's the executive coach at 21st Vision, and I know she does a lot of consulting in the Detroit metro area and brings that skill set to her school board um, at Trillium Academy, and they're doing great things down there for kids uh, and so we'll have an opportunity to hear from Heather here shortly. And the other board chair that we've had an opportunity to speak with about his service is Ehrlich Crane. Uh, Ehrlich is the board president at Detroit Innovation Academy and have served, has served there for over nine years. Um, previous to that, he served on another school board and um, wanted to seed uh, this new school board. And, and so we're appreciative to him for doing that. But he also serves as a director for business development and diversity at Runcelli. Uh, which is a uh, builder um, in Detroit. And so we're, we're appreciative to both of those board chairs for spending some time with us this month as we recognize School Board Recognition Month. Yeah, as Orlando mentioned, really distinguished guests that we have here today and Heather and Ehrlich, we're appreciative of their service and we hope you really enjoy some of their insights, not only on their years of service, what education looks like now, what the pandemic has done to impact um, the education and the services that they offer their students. So um, stay tuned, really excited for you to get to hear from these two wonderful board members. Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for education leaders.
so we're here with Heather Gardner, uh, the board president at Trillium Academy, and very appreciative to have her allocate some time with us today. Heather, can you tell us a little bit about Trillium Academy? Yeah, so Trillium Academy has been open for almost 20 years. Uh, we're a K-12 school located in Taylor, and uh, we've, we're focused on cultivating college and career-focused learners by embracing academics, excellence, strong character values, discipline artistry, and individual student passions. It's really important to us that we really have our students find what gets them excited and what, what they want to do when they grow up and tap into that energy that comes from all of that um, so that they can have an exciting and successful future for their lives. And Heather, um, you've been a, a board member at Trillium for, um, for six years now, so that's quite a few years of service, and we really appreciate and want to highlight um, the service of our board members, the tremendous um, public officials and community service um, aspect of it. What are you most proud of during that time at Trillium that you've been able to do in your role as a board member? So I'm actually starting my sixth year as president um, at the board, and um, so it's been a little bit longer than that, but in our time that I've been there and um, on the board, We've really focused hard on financial sustainability for the organization. Um, we've had some challenges like other charter schools through the years with enrollment. And so it's always been really important to us that we have that long-term sustainability support our staff and the academic um, investment that needs to go into a school. And so by doing that, we've done really well with our fund balance, which we've been really pleased with. We're also, we created a three-year strategic plan four years ago, and we're in our second three-year strategic plan. And it's something that we really use as our overarching guidance of where we go as a school and how we accomplish things and so it keeps us focused and on track and it helps us to focus on governance and not management and I think that really helps to create a collaborative relationship with our management company and also achieve the, the goals that we have set for ourselves as a school. We also ended up doing, um, we've been able to increase our student academic growth and proficiency over the last three to four years pretty significantly, um, which we've been very proud of as well. And then we also have done a large bond refinance um, two years ago, which has just, um, freed up a significant amount of cash, especially in today's environment. It's nice to have that cash to be able to help support some of the innovative programs we're trying to do that we're facing in the pandemic, a lot of online learning. Um, and we hear a lot of schools don't have that type of ability because of their um because of the cash flow issues in their school and we've been able to really stay focused on top of that and be able to help do unique things for uh for our students and for our parents so that, that's a great segue then to talk a little bit about some of the challenges you guys have faced going into the pandemic and as we think about some of the challenges what are you most concerned about for your students and your staff as you look ahead Oh God, the, the loss of learning is just so, such a concern for us as a board. In fact, we've spent our last board meeting a significant amount of time talking about how we're, how are we going to support our students on a go forward basis, the learning loss that's happened. And we, um, we're, as we take a look at our NWA's benchmarking scores against last year and where they're at this year and how are we going to, because really we look at almost every student needs some sort of intervention at this point. Um, I don't care where you're at on the spectrum of your growth and your proficiency. Um, everybody has seen us a backslide based upon uh, the current challenges that have been faced in the, um, in the pandemic. We've been very fortunate in the sense of that our student enrollment stayed really high. Our parents have stayed very involved. Our students um, are very involved. Um, we have a really high attendance rate. So we're really fortunate in that respect. 
Our staff actually has been fabulous. We um, had our staff for a long time coming to the school and teaching out of the school. And we provided daycare for our staff. And so even though they were teaching remote, we were able to have them. So they had the collaboration that came with um, you know, learning and working together as teachers, co-teachers and learning from each other. So that was good. But again, there's only so much you can do. So much of education is relationship-based. And if you don't have that personal touch relationships. It's just, we find it lags. Not every student can do the virtual component. They need the classroom piece. And we've seen, we've seen that unfortunately in our um, students' uh, um, academic achievement records. So we're just trying to come up with really innovative ways and in how we're gonna continue to support them through the rest of this year and then on a go forward basis as the students stay with us on a going, going forward. Heather, I really appreciate what you said about the, the partnership with management and really digging into your strategic plan which makes me wonder about what originally drew you to the mission of the organization. What, what drew you in to want to serve in this space? So I, um, my mom is a, um, she's a retired English teacher and she did a lot of performing arts growing up. And so I was, um, I was fortunate enough to always go to the Fisher Theater for plays and um, always going to the symphony for music. And so having culture is part of my, um, my growing up and rounding out of my education was very, very important to me. And I really believe it's one of the foundations for our society as well as for helping you to learn in your, um, the pathways inside your brain and helping you to find out what's really important for you. And so Trillium, while we're not a performing arts, a true performing arts school, we have a really heavy um, drama and a really heavy music program. And it's really important to us that the students have the ability to be able to participate in those activities, because again, it really helps build their foundation for, as I said, for just basic civilization, and then also for them, the way they learn, and then also helping to determine their passions. And so we have a strong college prep academic program for our kids, but we also, we round that out with um, a really robust um, performing arts type of program as well for them. And that's really important to me. And it's something I really believe in. Um, I really want our students to be able to have success on a growth go forward basis once they leave us and they have the foundation for that growth. And so, and having that tap in understanding who you are and what makes you tick is part of that. And that's part of what we really focus on inside of the Trillium Academy School. So Heather, I was really excited when I looked at your, uh, as we were preparing for this conversation and I looked at the uh, skill sets on your website and how it talked about, you know, the, some of the, some of the work that you do in your, in your business setting of the executive coaching team alignment, team building, um, and, and the women's leadership group and, and, and thought about how that really connected to some of the work that you do in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. um, and how some of that work uh, really translates over. Can you talk a little bit about how that skill set that you are implementing in your personal life or in your business life translates into the boardroom? So it's really about making sure that everybody has a voice and that everybody, um, our board, we are a very committed board. Um, we actually have board members that have, that originally go back to when the school originally started and they're still on um, our board. And, um, but it's really important to make sure that we work together and we have what I call healthy discourse on our board in the sense that uh, we have a lot of conversation, not everybody agrees, but eventually what we do is we, we, everybody airs their opinion and we end up with a collaborative agreement on how we're gonna go forward on something. And so we make sure that we work together as a team. The other is that you know, with a management company, it's really important, it's a fine line between holding them accountable, but then not actually managing the operations. And so and making sure that we have strong governance. And so it's, understanding your roles and responsibilities 
and making sure that we provide guidance and accountability, but we're not actually telling them exactly what to do because they're the professionals. We're not educators. Um, we don't have an educator on the board at this time, but um, we have, uh, we are, we do know what our goals and our requirements are as part of our charter contract. And we know also what we have set as our um, goals and our metrics as part of our strategic plan and we hold them accountable to it. We have a, um, we're unique in the sense of our board is, we have some, we have a former parent and we also have, um, two CPAs, and then we have um, someone who works at the chamber, who the regional chamber, who's focused on workforce development. So again, it all, all those different components have helped us as a board to be able to stay focused on what the long-term mission of the school is. And Heather, can you share a little bit more? I know you spoke earlier about the, um, while you're not a performing arts school, the performing arts aspect um, being so important to the school. Can you share a little bit more about that, some of the programs um, and some of the um, successes and, and great things I'm sure you've been able to see over the years as far as performances from, from the students? Yeah, it's really neat. So our school actually has a full stage um, that are for our students to be able to participate and um, do performances on. Uh, we've had students who have been able to go on and be able to play instruments uh, in college. Um, and it's really song, dance, instruments, um, drama. It's just, it allows students to like to tap into who they are and maybe become uh, something that really excites them, I guess you could say. Um, and we start at a very young age. We allow our students at a very young age to start participating in it, and it goes all the way through high school. We've seen some kids just really start to shine and um, really grow in their level of confidence and their self-assuredness and um, by, by tapping into being able to be on a stage and get comfortable in front of people and those presentation skills that will be able to help them as they go forward in life. So Trillium Academy was one of the first schools that I worked with when I started with the center uh, many years ago. And uh, one of the things that I've had the opportunity to do is attend one of your board meetings where you guys have students uh, mm -hmm. sometimes participate at the board meeting by sharing uh, the skills that they are developing with their teachers. Yep. So what we do is um, every board meeting, we start off with a student presentation and we've actually had students who they've, so it's funny, you learn these things, right? As I tell them, I can tell them old, but so they started a whole um, video about prod, uh, podcast um, in the mornings and it's called the tea spilling the tea. And uh, I didn't know what tea was. It's gossip. So I learned I was old. And so um, the uh, so they started this whole I mean, the kids, the, the kids came together, they made a pitch to administration, they wanted to be able to do this. And it's like now it's it's something they do every morning before school, and spilling the tea and they talk about things that are happening inside the school, the kids put it together. It's um, middle school and high school kids. They put it together themselves. They write all the content, they videotape it, they share it with across the school. It's really, a, it's a neat program. It's what they do. So that's an example of one of the things that um, they've done a presentation for us. They also have done um, different things they've done maybe in their ELA class um, or in history, and they'll come and they'll do presentations around some of the research that they've done. So we're not, we haven't been able to do as much um, with the pandemic because with the virtual board meetings and students being remote, but what they've been doing is trying to do video recordings of the students in their classrooms and then sharing with us as a board so we can still stay connected. It's probably one of the hardest things I think about the pandemic is that the virtual board meetings are nice because it allows us to continue to do governance in a safe manner, 
but you, you miss that connectivity, no different than the students are missing the connectivity by going to school. We miss connectivity as a board being able to, to actually physically be in the school, see the teachers, see each other and so forth. So it's a challenge and we're, um, we're trying to continue to navigate that and figure out how we can continue to do better in that aspect with regards to engagement um, with, our, with our school and with the staff and the students. But uh, yeah, we do some really, the kids have done some really neat things through the years to be able to show us um, everything from concerts to performances to um, classroom projects. And, and then even, like I said, this, they created a yearbook committee at one point too. Again, students came together and they made the pitch to administration, put it together, and then a club was created. So our kids are really good at finding their voice and then being able to advocate on their behalf to be able to have something put together inside the school that meets their needs. And that's really, oh, sorry, Orlando. It's re really great to see that connection with the students and, and how important that is to the, to the center of the role of the board member and that you're there um, to serve those students and ensure that they're, they have a quality education. So that, that's great to hear. And I'm reminded as we think about, um, you know, that, that the Academy started nearly 20 years ago. You guys are going to have an opportunity to celebrate uh, an anniversary here, uh, 20 years coming up here. And so we, we definitely look forward to celebrating with you and appreciate all of the hard work effort that uh, both management and the board have put into Trillium Academy. And, and you know, as part of uh, board member appreciation month, I want to say, a, you know, a deep, Thank you, gratitude to Heather Gardner for joining us today, but also for the years of service she's given to uh, the Taylor community and Trillium Academy. Thank you, Heather. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. to be here with our good friend and colleague Ehrlich Crane who is the board chair at Detroit Innovation Academy affectionately known in the office or, or in our portfolio of schools as DIA. Um, we are very excited to have you here uh, as part of this conversation Ehrlich. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much Orlando. It's a pleasure to be here. So Ehrlich you have been a board chair for the past decade at DIA and just prior to that spent two years on the Detroit Leadership Board. Uh, that was by design, um, Detroit Leadership Academy, and it was really to seed this new entity. Can you talk a little bit about um, your experience with uh, having the opportunity to serve on two boards um, and really seeding the uh, second board that you sat on? Sure. It was an interesting opportunity for me to join the Detroit Leadership Academy Board. I have a long history with the Metropolitan Detroit YMCA, and the YMCA was looking at that time to reintroduce the Y back into the Metropolitan Detroit community, but not through their traditional Y model, but through uh, an educational model where they could bring their Y resources and amenities to the school. And so when they approached me about joining the board, I was a little apprehensive because I didn't have an academic background, although I've been on other boards and other other entities, but um, uh, they thought through my commitment to the community that it, it would be beneficial. And so um, we got Detroit Leadership Academy launched and I served for two years there. And the decision was made to open a second school, uh, Detroit Innovation Academy. And so I elected to leave Detroit Leadership Academy 
and shift over to Detroit Innovation Academy's board and go through the entire startup process again and get the school open, working in collaboration with CMU. And can you tell um, our listeners briefly about uh, DIA, Detroit Innovation Academy, where you're at now, uh, maybe a little bit about the grade range of students and, and why um, are you so passionate about serving that entity? Uh, absolutely. Um, and maybe I'll start first with my passion. Um, I've always uh, looked to give back, especially involved with kids. I was on the board of uh, uh, Detroit Adoption Agency, uh, Homes for Black Children. And so uh, that's a passion of my own. And this seemed like a perfect opportunity. I grew up with the YMCA and knowing that they were in this for the right reason made all the difference for me. So when DIA opened back in 2011, we started as a K through five school and we opened an additional grade every year. So we now are fully a K through eight school. We have approximately 400 students. We're based in the Cody Rouge community, which is also one of the things that really makes a difference to me. Um, that neighborhood is one of the poorest zip codes in the city of Detroit. And so the kids in this, in this district certainly have a lot of needs and need a lot of support. And so it's been a, a very heartwarming uh, time to be able to see the kids given an opportunity to uh, improve their academic opportunities and exceed. Um, as I said, we're, we're currently at K-8 and just under 400 students. So you, have, you mentioned you guys are in the um, Cody Rouge neighborhood and just kind of wondering as you've seen the last decade play out, what type of impacts have you seen on that community? What has changed um, with the school uh, since the school has opened in that community? Well, I think a couple of things. One, one of the things I think really makes a difference for us is the culture that we've established there by originally being affiliated with the YMCA. And we're also physically housed within a, a very strong church within the community. Uh, one of the, the, the things I constantly get from our parents is the sense of a safe and secure environment that uh, they feel comfortable sending their kids there. They feel it's a safe environment and um, you know, they, they have no issues with bringing their kids to us. Um, but I think, you know, as we all struggle with the, the challenge to increase academic performance, we've been able to attract some great teachers, some great administrators who've been very uh, focused on trying to hone in on making a difference with these kids. Uh, we've had no security issues during my time that we've never had to suspend a student. So I think the culture of providing a, a, a safe environment has permeated down through the students and, and they feel safe being there. We provide a, a free breakfast, lunch and snack before they go home. So it's a healthy environment that they come to. They look forward to coming to school and the parents are happy to be able to send their kids there. Well, and as you, you share those insights, it just sounds like a tremendous community and, and a pillar of the community that you're in as well. Um, over your years of service, can you share with us something that you feel is most pr you're most proud of um, in your role as a board member during that time? Well, I, I think it's just the interaction with the parents and the kids. Uh, when I've been able to participate in those activities, um, the parents thanking me for uh, my time and what they get from the school. Um, you know, they, they're just happy to be there. They're happy to have that safe environment. And, you know, they appreciate, I think, that it's all being done for the right reasons that, you know, we're, we're there really trying to make a difference with these kids and, and try to do the best they can for them. So, you know, I don't know that there's any one success story, but just 
the heartwarming uh, feeling I get when I go into school that the kids greet you and my interaction with the parents has all been positive. They all appreciate the, the school and, and what it's trying to do. That's just wonderful to hear. And I know the certainly the pandemic that the world finds itself in right now has been a challenge in the education sector as well. Um, can you speak a little bit about um, how your school has navigated that um, and share with us a little bit more, um, even at the teacher level of um, some, some kind of shiny moments that you've seen in the last year um, as everyone really steps up for, for the students that you serve? Certainly. Well, when the um, stay-at-home order came down last March, it was really a significant shock for us as a school in, in that um, many of our kids did not have the technical support systems, laptops, tablets, and even internet services. So we had to adapt a combination of uh, online learning as well as still provide uh, hard copy paper information to continue the learning process. Um, and over the course of the summer, I have to give credit to the staff and administration of the school that uh, went after some grant money and other things that we were able to secure tablets and laptops for each student uh, to go into the school year. And one of the surprises for me was over the summer when we canvassed our parents as to how we'd like to proceed going forward in the fall, over 80% wanted to go virtual. And I probably would have expected just the opposite being the demographic of our students and wanting them to be in a safe environment, making sure they had something to eat. Um, and I don't know necessarily the reasons that they wanted it, but they, they elected to want to go virtual. And so um, to see and hear uh, from not only our teachers, but from CMU that has evaluated our staff that uh, we've been able to adapt a, at least a system that appears to be carrying on the mission as best we can under the circumstances. And um, I do have a couple success stories to share regarding two of our teachers. Um, Ms. Emily, and I'm going to mispronounce her last name, Klinecki, and Dwight Walls. Uh, Emily's a fourth grade teacher, and Dwight's a third grade teacher. And during our annual um, EPR assessment from CMU, uh, CMU recognized these two teachers as rock stars uh, for what they've adapted and created for their learning profile for our for virtual learning classes. And CMU will be conducting an interview with both of these teachers to showcase their effective learning styles in the near future. So uh, we're very proud of them as, as all of our staff, but uh, these two were recognized uh, in the industry for, for their activities and, and learning um, skills. Well, and that's, that's wonderful to hear, and we are excited to be recognizing those teachers who are really going above and beyond um, in the pandemic. And as we look at the challenges that the past school year has, has brought um, due to the pandemic, I guess looking forward, what, what are your thoughts of kind of where we go from here? Um, some insights you might have or some concerns as you're, as you're looking from your board and governance perspective of things that you think would be helpful as we, um, as we emerge from this pandemic and really focus in on, on the things that our students need at a school level? Sure. I, I think the biggest issue for me as a, as a board member is, um, you know, how to adapt to the learning model we're going to have to adjust to. I know with the governor's announcement of her goal to have students back in classroom by March 1, uh, we already were uh, physically, logistically challenged with space. Uh, we have no more space to grow into within the, the facility we're in now. 
and certainly to have uh, social distancing and some of the other things that we'd have to do to bring all the kids back. I don't know that right now how that will be done. We haven't had a board meeting uh, yet to discuss and, and look into that model, but you know, we, um, we're space challenged and certainly to be able to uh, teach the children, uh, feed the children and, and conduct other activities which we need to do, how to do that effectively in a limited space that we have and in a, in a safe environment. So Ehrlich, um, in case you don't hear it anywhere else, I wanna make sure you hear it from us that we're super appreciative of the time and effort that you've given over the past decade to help change the trajectory for kids uh, in the city of Detroit. Um, and as I think about the ser service that you've given and as I think about, you know, you've got a lot of time and effort in rebuilding the city of Detroit as, a, as being part of a big uh, uh, builder, uh, Ronselli Inc. in the city. You've been rebuilding the city of Detroit for, you know, for, for many, many years. How do we transition that into rebuilding the education system for the city of Detroit, for the kids that are in the city, which is maybe a little bit behind schedule where the rebuilding of the city is? And what advice do you have for those that look to the city of Detroit and, and uh, are trying to understand what, what's going on in the city as it relates to education? Sure. Um, well, that's a tough question. Uh, you know, certainly our kids uh, deserve to have the same quality education as any, any kid in any community. And that's one of the reasons this is so important to me is to try to do whatever I can to make that happen. Um, certainly some of the challenges we face are, you know, many of our kids don't go home to a two-parent household or to a, a support system that, that, as I mentioned earlier, may have uh, internet or computer services at home or may even know where their next meal may be. And so uh, we've had to improvise a little bit. We've worked with the state social services agency to provide resources to our families and to our kids. At one point, we've had food banks in order for families to take food home. Um, we've looked at other resources the way to support our kids uh, so that they have a, a healthy environment to live in and, and learn in. But um, I think the biggest thing is uh, overcoming this model to understand how do we sustain the kids uh, to give them the best opportunity they have to succeed. Um, you know, one of the challenges that we also have is for us, uh, we work so hard during the school year to keep our kids moving forward and then we send them home for a summer break where they may not have the resources to keep them engaged and activated and they come back to us in the fall and they've regressed some, and so we're, we're seemingly always playing catch up. And we're always trying to think out of the box of how to solve that issue uh, with the limited you know, funds and other things that we do have in order to supplement uh, academic uh, progress to keep that sustained over those, those periods of breaks. Um, but I think this COVID adds additional dimension of, of you know, we've, we had history of families that may not have the stability and may have to move around and they may be living in one place now and have to go live with someone else and come back. And so the more ability we can supplement that with non-traditional academic support uh, to help them have a stable environment, I think is the best thing we can do outside of the normal learning activities and, and learning processes that we're, that we're working on. Well, I appreciate that. And, and part of what I heard is that you guys are not only serving the educational needs of, of the students and the families that you serve, but you guys also somewhat function as a social service agency to support uh, the kids and families in your community. And 
um, not only heartwarming, but also reminds us of how fortunate we all are and um, how much we have to lead into this idea of ensuring that all kids have an opportunity for a high quality education. Sure, sure. Yeah, and we just want to say thank you. It is January is School Board Recognition Month, but as Orlando said, we appreciate you. We know the community you serve appreciates your service as well, um, and all of your board members that serve with you um, on behalf of the students of, of your school, but then the community that surrounds you as well. Um, as Orlando said, and as you just outlined, it's really expands beyond education and it's really tremendous the impact you're having on the lives of these students. So we appreciate you. We know others appreciate you. Um, and we're happy to celebrate you during during school board month. Well, thank you. And, and, I, and I do need to recognize my board colleagues. Uh, I have four of the board members who work so very hard at this and are so diligent and committed to this, as well as our, our management company, Cyril and um, the partnership we have with them in, in working to um, move the, the opportunities for these kids forward. And um, it's a group effort and a group partnership and we're doing all we can. Thank you, Ehrlich. Uh, Ehrlich Crane, board chair of DIA. Appreciate your service and we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you.